0: freedom 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 over fame freedom over f- cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives I am your host Bruce Anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcasts subscribe share like comment and rate us can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch at Unsolicited underscore Perspectives, on Twitter and TikTok at Unsolicited underscore PER. Watch us live every Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Our audience continues to grow with each and every episode. And I humbly thank you on today's episode i'll be interviewing heather o'connor she's a family lawyer and a divorce lawyer in massachusetts we'll be talking about her life skating domestic violence and divorce but first things first so i'm going to be interviewing heather o'connor and i'm going to apologize for those people that are watching the video Uh, there's going to be a little bit of what's called lip flap. The reception wasn't that great, but the audio, there won't be a problem with the audio. Um, and the video catches up. It goes back and forth, but, um, the interview is very good. Heather has a very interesting life. Um, I know that, uh, you guys know that I'm not shy talking about my divorce. 50% of the marriages end up in divorce. I'm cool from it. I don't really have any lingering effects from it. I, I know a lot of people that are either divorce or are going through a divorce. Uh, so this is really interesting to interview Heather and just talk about her life. Because once again, she has a very fascinating life. And then hear a little bit more about divorce and divorce proceedings and, and the backgrounds of uh, family law. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hello, and I'm here with Heather O'Connor, she's a domestic violence survivor, former professional skater, mother, lawyer, and just so I throw that out there, grandmother as well. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It's my pleasure having you here. I'm excited to interview you because you have such a fascinating life. Uh, But I want to start from the beginning. Okay. Skating. Tell me all about that. Tell me about uh, getting started, wanting to become an Olympic skater, and falling a little short of becoming an Olympic skater. Give me the whole backstory on that.
1: Sure. So basically, it started, my parents had no money. You know, we grew up in a full When I was little, we didn't even have a car. We had to walk everywhere and take the bus. And my, my parents were looking for a free activity to be able to take me and my brother to. And there was an advertisement for a free skating show. And they were like, oh, we'll take the kids to that. Well, we went to this free show and I fell in love. And it ended up with my mom having to work three jobs, my dad working two jobs, <laughs> you know, to help pay for it. So it was really something I had no business being in. But I had a passion for it. I loved it. I was really, really good at it. Like I took to it right away, and you know, my my skill increased quickly. Um, ended up, I moved away from home when I was about twelve to continue training. I actually trained with Nancy Kerrigan and Paul Wiley, and so um, hmm. yeah, so that's that's what I did up until my senior year of high school, where I decided that you know I wanted to do normal. Kid stuff. I had had a couple really bad ankle injuries at that point, and I wanted to go to prom. I wanted to do gym at school, and so we kind of transitioned. It was a big deal in my household because you know my parents had put a lot into something Mm -hmm. that now I was just throwing away. So it it was hard, but um, you know that's that's where I went. And I turned from there. After I graduated, I started teaching teaching figure skating. And then I did get back into competing again um, after I actually was married and had my first child. Then that part of my career ended because I found out I was pregnant with my second child. (laughs) So so that's pretty much uh, the, the skating story.
0: Okay, so we'll definitely get to the marriage because I know okay. that's the next transition or in, in your life that you go from skating to to your marriage. But Nancy Kerrigan, I mean, this was obviously after the whole incident.
1: This, no, this was during. So I was oh. training with her when all that happened. And you know, I never met Tanya Harding or anything like that, but I remember the news cameras being all over the rink we were we trained at. They were trying to climb in the roof like we it was it was a, an incredibly chaotic period of time. But yeah, no, we trained all during that.
0: And how did you deal with all of that going around you?
1: The same way you deal with anything, you know, when you're a competitive athlete or you're really focused on something, you just put on your blinders like a horse and you don't see anything else and you just do what you got to do.
0: Okay. Okay. All right, so I'm interested in the ending of your skating career and and you deciding that you want to have life because I had a similar experience. I was a, some friends of mine will say I was a decent basketball player. Other people that have known me for years will say I was really good. And um, in college, I had an opportunity to play and I knew a couple of guys on the basketball team and I said, I don't want that life. So I knew at that point, I didn't love it that I liked it. Was that something similar that that you had where you were like, yeah, I really like this. I don't know if I love it because I want to live a life. I want to have fun.
1: Yeah. I think when I was younger, it was something, you know, I wanted to eat, breathe, sleep. I, everything was figure skating. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as I had the the injuries, especially the last major ankle injury I had that took me out of, you know, a competition that I was, I was supposed to win. I was supposed, you know, that, that's what I was tagged. That's what was expected. Had a really horrible ankle injury right before it. And after that, it was like, you know, the, the chances of me making it now at this point are so slim that Mm -hmm. I, I want to just be a kid. Like, I just want to enjoy high school, you know, for the last half year that I can
0: I can I can t- definitely understand that. So, before we get to your marriage and and we'll dig deeper into your your career in law. Do you think that becoming a professional skater and teaching prepared you for law?
1: Um I think I, I don't know if if the teaching aspect of it, maybe in in relation to having to explain things to younger kids and be able to take more difficult concepts and you know simplify them, maybe that area. But I definitely think the, you know, there there were mornings I was up at 4 a.m. I was, you know, we were tutor we had tutoring or we were in school for only a partial day. So everything was so regimented and you know focused. That Mm -hmm. I think that 100% helped me through law school, definitely. And then I think also with the demand of being a lawyer and everything that's expected of you, I think that definitely helped put me in a better position.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So we're transitioning now from your figure skating career to your marriage. And you said that that effectively ended the teaching aspect of figure skating because you weren't pregnant one time, but twice.
1: Yeah. So I I actually have three kids, so I ended up getting pregnant three times. But um, it it wasn't necessarily that the marriage ended my career. I had actually moved out to uh, the UP area of Michigan and Wisconsin, and I had moved out there to train. Mm -hmm. Um, The guy who I was dating at the time came with me because he was going to play hockey while we were out there.
0: Okay. And
1: during this period of time, you know, oh, great, I'm pregnant. What are we going to do now? Oh, we're going to get married because that's what's expected of us. And so that kind of led to the marriage, but I was still teaching, you know, throughout Mm -hmm. that whole period.
0: Okay. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about, uh, your ex husband, because obviously you got married and you got a divorce, but your ex husband, uh, the history of you guys and that whole transition of moving out there, getting pregnant, deciding to get married, and then what the actual marriage was like.
1: Yeah, I, I try to be very careful when I speak of this because of the fact that he is still my children's father. And, you know, I never. There's, there's a lot that they know there's, there's probably quite a bit that they don't and they don't need to. And I know they're very active on my social medias and, you know, everything like that. So I want to be very careful and there's probably going to be things that I definitely leave out for their protection. (laughs) Um, But I think to summarize, you know, there were quite a few red flags that I should have seen that I was blinded to, partly because I was terrified of letting my family down because of the fact Mm. I was pregnant. You know without first being married so that was a whole thing because i grew up very very religious where that's not what you do you know and it was extremely you know you you weren't a good person if you were getting pregnant before you got married so there was that whole thing so i think i ignored a lot of things that now i look back And I say, what what were you thinking? But at that point in time, I think because of my objective of protecting, you know, myself, my family, and my child that was going to be coming, I ignored a lot. And then as the marriage continued, because when I committed to marriage, regardless, you know, I was very young. I was was 20 when I got married, 21 when I had my daughter, Mm -hmm. and- I was very committed to marriage. You know, I had grown up with the the ideology that when you get married, that's for life. You put everything into that marriage. You commit yourself to that marriage regardless of anything that happens. You stay married and you work it out. Yeah. And so that was that was how I went into the marriage and again, along the lines there were quite a few things. You know, the first time there was a domestic incident that that was blatant, that couldn't just be, oh, you know, maybe got carried away, blah, 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 was Mm -hmm. the night before my daughter's second birthday. And it was the point I remember I took both my kids because I had two at that point. I took both my kids. I got into the car and I was going to leave. You know, that Mm -hmm. that that was a line that got crossed for me. And my elderly neighbor actually came out. She saw me in the car crying and she came out and she said, what are you doing? These are your kids. This is your family. You can't leave your family, and that was everything I had been told my entire life. Yeah. So I went back in the house, put on a lot of makeup, and pretended nothing happened. And um, you know, things things like that continued to happen. Not not so frequently that you know it was an everyday occurrence, but frequently enough where it became a pattern. And so I learned a lot after the fact of the things that I had been through and the cycle of domestic violence. Um, but while you're going through it, you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about how do I get through, you know, everything that's going on? How do I not make the person upset so we don't have to deal with it? And it it actually almost becomes where you feel like it's your fault if you didn't do the things right that yeah. prevented the other person from getting upset. Yeah. So um you know, that there were definitely good parts of our marriage, because if there if it was all bad, I think nobody would stay. Right. But there were good things. There were bad things. And eventually um, it ended with him getting arrested, you know, after he attempted to strangle me. So
0: I, I think that'll do it. Um, <laughs> OK, wow. So I don't want to ask too many probing questions, because like like you said, you don't want to there are certain things that you don't want to talk about. So, we'll just frame it as this was more than a toxic marriage, this was a domestic violence marriage. And uh so my question would be how did your personal experience being in this marriage shape the way you approach family law?
1: Sure. So, at that point I had never gone to college. So, I only had a high school diploma. I had turned to coaching, which you know, I had all the experience I needed for that. I didn't have to go back to school for that. Mm-hmm. So it was actually, you know, during during the period of time that my husband was arrested, my my oldest son, um, he's my middle child, but he's my oldest son, he was running around the yard, just skipping, saying, my daddy got arrested, my daddy got arrested. Like, And the police came to me and said, ma'am, we want to speak with your son because this isn't typically how children are acting when their parents getting arrested in front of them. So they took my son aside and they spoke with him. And then they came back to me and they said, ma'am, we want to let you know we're going to be filing a 51A, which is what we refer to here as the initial complaint to social services. And they said, because of the fact that when we asked your son if he knew why his father was getting arrested, his response was, yes, he's he hurt my mommy like he hurts us. Mm. And that for me when i heard that it took probably about a month for me to really work up the courage because my husband has also told me that if i ever left him that he would take everything from me he would take my children he would take you know all the money that i would be lucky enough to even be sleeping on a park bench at night and i believed him you know Mm -hmm. i i believed what he said and so I was terrified, but it was finding out that my children were being affected was what, I, I don't want to say gave me the courage, but I knew there was no return. And that right. was when I filed for divorce. So through that process, I, I wasn't an attorney. You know, I, I knew nothing about it. i had never been involved in the law. Um, and through that, what I saw was one, a lot of things that I felt were unjust within the system and I didn't understand. I had mm-hmm. had a number of conversations with other people as you sit in court. And I remember one conversation I had with a woman specifically where we were talking back and forth and we both had you know similar stories of feeling as though our attorney's you know, they seemed to know the legal mumbo jumbo, they seemed to know what they were talking about, but they just didn't get it. And it was that it, that word it, that I went home that night and I remember laying up, looking at the ceiling, thinking, you know, what what is it that I feel that the lawyer's not getting? Mm-hmm. And it finally hit me where it's it's the emotional side of what you're going through. It's the ups and the downs. And, you know, at one point you're feeling ecstatic because you're looking at having a completely different life that you can make into something wonderful. And then in the very next moment, you're crying on the floor because your life as you knew it is over and you don't know what you're going to do. It's a feeling of extreme fear Of the unknown, it's a feeling of joy of letting go of a past that wasn't happy. You know, there's there's a hundred and one different things that you go through that the lawyer just didn't understand and treated Mm -hmm. it just as if it was any other case, and it's not. Nobody going through a divorce or family law, you can have very similar circumstances, right? But those cases are very different because there's very different people, Mm -hmm. and it was that. And I remember sitting there saying. I think I can do this better than what I'm seeing out there. And Mm. my lawyer at one point said, Heather, you know, you've got three kids. So all my kids were under the age of six when I went through my divorce. Okay. And um, so he said, you've got some really young kids here. What what are you going to do to support them? And I remember looking at him, I said, well, I'm going to go back to school and then I'm going to go to law school and then I'm going to be an attorney and I'm going to open my own family law firm and I'm going to do this. He literally laughed at me hmm. and like like ah, thought I was joking. 100% thought I was joking. And then I could see the look, you know, the realization in his face drip down as he realized like, "Oh no, she's not joking." Right. And he goes, "Heather, do you have any idea what you would be getting into? And I was like, nope, but I'll figure it out. And so that's what I did. I started back to community college. Then I went to undergrad. Then I went to law school. Then I clerked for two years. Then I joined a firm and got a lot of experience. And then I opened my own firm in 2016.
0: Now, how old were you when you started this process?
1: So when when I first started back to school... It was in 2004. So I'd have to do some math.
0: <laughs> 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 so
1: I think I was around 27 or 28. Okay. Wow. Maybe 26. Okay. But somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in there. Okay. I think 26, because I think I was 28 when I graduated community college. That would that would make sense.
0: Yeah, it would make sense because <laughs> it's typically a two year situation. Okay, so before we get to your law career, I have to ask you: What advice would you give individuals who are considering leaving toxic relationships or domestic abuse relationships? I say toxic, but it's domestic abuse, which is still toxic, but but um, but but are. What would you what advice would you give to those people that are trying to leave those relationships but are afraid of the financial and the emotional consequences of leaving that relationship? Cuz you did it.
1: I did it. And you know, I I remember thinking, look, I don't really besides figure skating, which at that point in time the economy had crashed. So I went from coaching quite a bit to the first thing people do when the money's mm-hmm. tight is get rid of extracurricular activities. You know, so I went from coaching quite a bit to very, very limited and not enough to really support a family on. And so for me, it was, you know, how how do I make money in the interim or if I'm not going to back to school? Because this is also a period of time where I thought just if you were a lawyer, you would be rich, which is not necessarily true. But that's what I thought.
0: (laughs) I will say I will say when you become a lawyer, you have debt.
1: Yes. Which, which, you know, (laughs) I didn't think that part through, (laughs) but I, I kind of thought, you know, if I can make it as a lawyer, I'll be rich. And I'd rather work my, my ass off basically for seven years, eight years, 10 years, and eventually know that I can be there versus continuing to struggle to make ends meet forever, you know, Mm. because nobody's going to give me money. Nobody's going to throw money at me. You know, we didn't have a lot of money during our marriage and my ex sucked at paying child support. So I couldn't even sure. rely on that. And, um, so for me, my mindset was I could either struggle forever or I can struggle and take control of my future. And that's what I did. And I think, you know, for people going through it, if you can come to that resolve of taking your future and not waiting for somebody to give something to you, or or you know, waiting for the right opportune time. There's never going to be the right opportune time. Mm-hmm. And the longer you stay in a situation like that, the the more you start to suffocate and you drown there, and it becomes even harder to get out.
0: Um, what did you do for a living as you're putting yourself through school? Because. I'm going to, I don't need to know your financials, but I'm going to assume that you took out school loans. Right. And, but you also have three kids and you mentioned that your ex was piss poor at paying child support. (laughs) So what were some of the things that you did because putting yourself through school, even with loans and, and they just don't cover everything that you need. Never mind the fact that you got a family and kids to raise. What did you do to make ends meet?
1: Yeah, I mean, I bartended, I waitressed, but I also knew that if I could get really good grades, I could get scholarships. Mm,
0: and so go, I
1: yeah. made it a point where I an A, I wasn't going to settle for an A. I needed an A plus. I needed to be top of my class because one, I knew, I knew I had my age against me and I knew the fact that I had three kids working against me, you know, where- you have to apply to get into law school. I don't know what they're going to look at and they're going to say, whoa, she's older and she's got children. She's a question mark. So I knew I needed to set myself up well. And so for community college, thankfully, you know, because of the fact I was divorced and I had three kids, I did qualify for a number of, of um, grants that mm-hmm. I didn't have to repay. Okay. And then what I ended up also doing is because you can take out school loans that if you don't need it to pay for school you can utilize for your living expenses and so um my debt i ended up you know community college was mostly paid for through through grants um through undergrad i had a full scholarship so i didn't pay anything for that but i did take out all the money to live off of yeah. And then when I got to law school, I got a very significant scholarship in law school, but it was the same thing. I took out quite a bit of money to live and subsidize the, you know, what I was earning as a bartender.
0: OK, you you brought up something and I don't know even know why I didn't think of this ahead of time. Obviously, you're an older person. In the classroom with uh, younger people and i remember being in college and there would be an older person i remember distinctly there was this woman uh she wasn't much older than i was but she had a kid and and the whole nine what was the reaction from the other students um knowing your story obviously they didn't know all the details of the story but they knew that you were a mother with three kids and that you were older than them did they treat you any type of way uh because of that difference
1: um, I think the one thing I did, and I, I don't want to sound conceited with this coming off, but I've always looked much younger than I am. And even when I would like, when I was 28, I still looked like I was 21. You know, I think I got carded up until maybe five years ago. So <laughs> I looked very young. So I think nobody would have known until they started talking to me or like we were having a friendship or my life story just came out. If you were just looking, you might think, hey, she's a little bit older than the people, but it wasn't that significant immediate um, assumption that I was older in most of the situations. I I think for a lot of people that did know there was a lot of mutual respect, you know. I, I think that I became friends with a lot of people that were going through school. Um, I'm still followed by a lot of people that I went to undergrad with throughout my social media. We've been friends in real life. They send clients to me. Um, you know there there was where they saw a drive, you know, I wasn't just sitting back and to get through school. Like I was that person who everyone hated because the teacher would be like, any other questions? And I'd be like, I have one. Like I need to know everything because I need my grades, Right. <laughs> you know? And um, so I, I don't think that I had that level of difficulty. I do remember in law school, my first year, because first year law school is like nothing you can prepare for. It Mm -hmm. is exhausting. And I I knew going into it that with my three kids, you never know when somebody's going to get sick. You never know when the school's going to call to come pick your kid up because they're having a bad day at school. You know, you never know what's going to happen. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't act like the other students and just stay on top of my work. I had to be ahead of my work. So I remember one day I think I hadn't slept all night because me, one of my kids were sick or something. I forget exactly the reason, but I hadn't slept. Mm-hmm. And I'm in class and this girl behind me is complaining about, you know, how she has this little dog that keeps her from doing her work because it barks at her and she's got to take it to the dog the dog park and, you know, she couldn't get her work done. And I turned around. I was like, if I hear one more effing thing about your goddamn dog
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're sitting there dealing with real problems and meanwhile like here, I'm yeah. cleaning
1: puke up all night and I still have to be to class. You know, right. so I lost it a little bit. We weren't friends the rest of that year. We did make up later. <laughs>
0: but <laughs> you should have invited her over to clean up some of that puke. <laughs> okay heather so i've dug all into your personal life and maybe got a little too personal but but i think it it's good content and and i'm very appreciative of you being so open so thank you
1: you're welcome i also think it's very important for people to know that they're not alone when they're going through things like that and so as i said you know i want to protect some of it for my children but exactly I also do believe that it is so important to share. You know, if you've been through something like that, I think you almost have a duty to give back and help other people out of it.
0: Speaking of your duty, that is an excellent segue. All right. Speaking of your duty as a lawyer, uh, what do you believe are the most important qualities of being a successful lawyer? And how do you cultivate those qualities, not only in yourself, but also in your team? Because by the way, in case I didn't point that out, Heather has a kick-ass law firm.
1: <laughs> it's so true. I'm a little biased, you know, because <laughs> I've built it and I own it, but I do. I think we have an absolutely amazing team and it started with a vision that just continues to grow, you know, so I think to answer your multi-questioned <laughs> I know I do that. <laughs> yeah, I
0: do that a lot.
1: <laughs> um, to, to start with, I think what makes a successful lawyer, and some of that is going to define how somebody defines success in and of itself, you know, somebody might think, and I know there's a general perception of lawyers that they will do anything they can for a dollar, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of times that dollar comes with winning. So they're willing to hurt people to be able to mm-hmm. get that dollar and get that win. That is not what I consider success you know mm-hmm. i consider success being especially in my field of family law i consider it to to make sure that you understand where a person's coming from that you are guiding them and letting them understand the choices that they have so that mm-hmm. they have the ability to and the education behind them to make the choices that are going to affect their life then it's also making sure that you're representing them to the best of your ability, both in the law, both in the way you argue, and um, while always looking for a way to negotiate and get them out of the system as quickly as possible. Well, being able to strategize, looking forward in case you are not able to do that, so that you can kill the other side in court and <laughs> you know get the outcome for your client that you're looking for. But there's there's so many different directions, and it's part of why I love this area because it's not black and white. There's always 50,000 different ways you can go. And mm-hmm. I think success is doing, you know, the the best job for your client in the shortest amount of time and having that client leave with regardless, you know, I, I've had cases, I, I hate to admit it, but it's true. You know, I'd be lying to say otherwise. I've had cases that did not come out the way that I was hoping, mm-hmm. but my client has stood there and said, you know, I get it. And no, I don't like the result, but you fought for me. You know, you heard me, you understood me. And, you know, there's been a friendship that's formed from that. And to me, that's success. You know, success is when somebody goes, regardless of their outcome, and says, if you're going to hire somebody, this is where you want to go. Because yeah. they listen, and they, they, they do what they say. And for me, that's, that's what defines success. So it, I think that's the answer to that part.
0: Yeah, so it seems like to me... And everything that you just said and everything that you said in the first segment about when you were going through this is that you, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, you literally put yourself in their shoes. And it's a constant reminder of what you went through to make sure I don't want to make them feel like that it is missing.
1: Right. And, and the hard part, you know, I'm, I know I'm very good at that. You know, I know I can do that. and um. The hardest part also being, you know, an A-type personality, red color, you know, is my personality. I'm I'm very much a control freak in a lot of ways. Passing that off as I build a team was something that I had to go through a lot of mind shifting and a lot Mm. of um, letting go, you know, not Mm. of the expectation I have of people, but of the fact that at the very beginning it was, I know I can do it right, so I want to do it all. You know, right. but in order to grow, in order to, you know, service the number of people that I want to be able to so that they all get that same level, it's been this building process and this growth process of having people come in and making sure that they understand our vision and our goals, making sure they understand how to make that connection. And, you know, when I'm hiring, I'm always looking for people that have some sort of, um, Life experience with family mm-hmm. law, you know not mm-hmm. just that they went to school and you know they've they haven't had that experience. Um, I think pretty much everyone on our team, whether it's been them as a child, whether it's been them as an adult, whether it's been you know a spouse of theirs that has gone through the system they they all have something that they can relate to with family law, and that's mm. been very very important to me
0: that's. That's that's dope. That's really dope. Um, Okay. So in dealing with family law and divorce law, what are some common misconceptions that you encounter with your work and how do you help these clients overcome these misconceptions?
1: I think, you know, the the biggest one is that mom always gets the kids. You know, I don't think that's necessarily true in most cases anymore. Um, Really? I think at least in Massachusetts. So I'm only, I'm licensed in Massachusetts. I practice in Massachusetts. I'm also licensed in Rhode Island, but whenever I talk about law, I focus on Massachusetts because that's where we do the majority of our work. Mm -hmm. And here I think there has been a lot of growth towards fathers, but I also think here a lot of fathers have stepped up during the relationship and there's a number of dads who are now the primary caretaker during the relationship, which you didn't have before. And it's one of the things that I would like to see change in our society as a whole is, mm-hmm. you know, and I understand it because if one person has a better job and the the other person doesn't, you know, doesn't have as many career advancements, it makes financial sense for that person to be the one that runs the kids around, that takes time off from work.
0: Exactly. But yeah. if
1: you want equality with when the relationship ends, put your work in while you're still together, you know, make sure that... You're also, you know, as dad, taking time off to, to take care of the kids if there's a snow day, you know. And I think that would change a lot throughout other jurisdictions. I do think Massachusetts has come a far way. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on who you talk to, there's a lot of guys out there that would probably say something different. But <laughs> in my practice, that's what I've seen. You know, for for the most part, if dad wants to, a substantial role in their child's life. Even if it's not a full 50-50, they get that opportunity.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I'm not going to throw my friend under the bus, but I I know I I have a friend that got a divorce. um, And I guess his ex-wife made more money because he got, I guess, primary custody. And he got child support. And it was literally the first time I'd ever heard anything like that. I was mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. The man can get child support? That's yep. It was like, and if it's not now. like Oprah. Like if it's not <laughs> Oprah, right? If it's not Oprah or who else is somebody really rich? Um, uh, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. If she gets remarried and, and, and they have kids or whatever, you I know. would expect something like that. But this was like normal, average people. And he got child support. Yep. And I said, I don't know how you pulled that one off. So that's, this, that's a, a misconception is that, yeah, the woman always gets everything. And there's also a little bit of toxic masculinity that goes along with that, like, thinking that women always get everything and she's going to take half and that's yeah, that. Yeah. But, but we don't need to go there about toxic masculinity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I think some of that too, also unfortunately depends on who you choose as a lawyer you know mm. I know that there's i won't throw anyone under the bus but I can think of one lawyer specifically who when he he's dealing with a male client he scares them into agreeing to give away a lot more than they should and I've had cases where they come to us later and I look at it and I'm like why why did you do this like right. you can't you can't usually undo what's already been done. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been able to do that in some cases, but there's others especially if you're talking about a property distribution, once it's done it's done. You can't go back and fix it. So as much as I'd love to say, you know, every lawyer out there is great, they're not. <laughs> there's a lot of lawyers that are good and will guide you in the right way, uh-huh. but there's there's some that unfortunately, you know, guide people in a very wrong direction.
0: So that leads me to an, a, a different question. What are, if you could, what are some things that people who are looking for lawyers, family dispute, divorce, what have you, uh, that they, what are, questions that they can ask lawyers to find out, is this lawyer going to really give me the best advice? And are there even questions like maybe trigger answers to questions that a lawyer would say and, and that person, that client would say, nah, you know what? I don't know about this lawyer. They're not, they're going to tell me to sign away everything. So are yep. there questions that, that a, a client can ask a lawyer to get that information out beforehand?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one, one is usually a communication issue. And right from the beginning, if you're having trouble getting in touch with a law firm, like when you're hiring them, they, sh- they should be on their best, you know, uh, appearance, their, their best behavior, really. Mm-hmm. And if they're already not responding to you quickly in there, it's only likely going to be worse. You right. know, another thing that I think is important to ask, if you go in and you say, I want the kids. I want the house. I want retirement. I want alimony. I want. I want it all. And they say, "Okay, yeah, I can get that for you, one hundred percent." They're full of crap, and you should run, 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 run.
0: Mm-hmm. You know.
1: And even even if sometimes you know you're going through the the case. So let's say I hired somebody, and then I start questioning. You know that advice. Feel free to contact another attorney, and usually you can set up like an hour consultation. Just to go through and see if that attorney might have any feedback on what they might do differently or, you know, what has been done. And you got to be careful there because, you know, attorneys can try to undercut the other person. But if you really believe in your heart that, you know, you're, you're being told information that just isn't sitting well with you, double check it with somebody else. And also look at their website. You know, what is their, what is their focus on their website? Are they giving away information? Because, you know, attorneys should want to educate people who aren't even hiring them. So mm. if if their website isn't set up in a way where they are giving the information for people who, if they need to do things themselves, they're putting themselves in a good direction, that attorney is not going to educate you correctly. Mm. So I think those, those are a few. I know our intakes um, coordinator, she's actually done um, a lot of uh talks about these these exact things because it is really important for somebody to to know what they're getting into. And nobody knows until they're already there. And that's right. part of the problem.
0: Okay, so that's good advice. Y'all listen out there. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, nobody's getting a divorce. I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to have any more. My friends call me telling me they're getting a divorce. But if you do, <laughs> those are questions to ask. So I know in your field, you have to deal with emotionally charged situations. And you came from a situation that you might be reminded of traumatic experiences dealing with your work. How do you balance that? How do you balance uh, emotionally charged situations that remind you of the past and still keep a solid balance in your life?
1: That's a great question. And I think I have done so much work on myself. You know, that was one of the things that when I was coming out of the divorce, again, it was either I can be a victim of my circumstances or I can take the bull by the reins and, and you know, kick it. And that's what mm-hmm. I decided to do. And I I move forward and I let go a lot of the past. So I don't think, I can't think of anything you know, within, let's even say the past five years, I can't think of anything where it was a triggering event for me. You know, I think a lot of times I hear things and I can understand what somebody's going through, but it's not necessarily triggering. And I think that's only because I've done so much work. You know, I know that there, there are some things that, you know, and we, we have it set up in our firm. We do have a, a, a we call her a high conflict relationship coach, who has been able to even work, she's not a therapist, but she's been able to work even with some of our team when they do hit a situation that is kind of triggering to them. And Mm -hmm. we don't keep them, you know, on a case where, where they might be struggling because that's not what's best for the client. Um, But, you know, I, I, I think for me, when I hear things that, that I've been through before, or that I do understand, it brings a sense of awareness, not only for what they're going through, but Also, part of my job, part of our job here is not just to get them a legal result. It's to Mm -hmm. start putting them on a path in their life that puts them in a position that when they're done with us, you know, when through this, that legal paper, regardless of what it says, means crap. You know, they're going to take control of their life and they're going to change it. And that's, you know, getting them to think about not being a victim. You know, ri- rising above. What can we do to set up boundaries so you're not mm. ending up in the same situation? Those are all things that I take as a responsibility within, you know, our firm as a lawyer. It's not just law. There's so much else that goes into the divorce process and that's what we're trying to create within our firm is a life change.
0: I love that. Lifestyle change. I love that. Um, I think that's so very, very important. Just when you're helping people uh, change their life, you know, I'm a fitness uh, person. Now I'm not gonna get (laughs) specific, because there are some people that follow me, they don't need to know exactly what I do. And and building people up, uh, helping them lose weight, mentally, emotionally, improving their well-being. And I always tell people, hey, this is a lifestyle change. I'm I'm teaching you something that you can carry on when I'm gone. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful to hear that it's not a end result, right, for you and your law firm. It is, we want to prepare you for the rest of your life. I love that. I really do love that. So in speaking in that, and, and we don't have to give any names, right? But in speaking of that, do you have, uh, you know, a success story of somebody who left a pretty traumatic relationship and is thriving after it through the help of you and your law firm?
1: I think um, one story comes to mind and it's actually, it's not what I th- would think of as the story to give away, you know, for that, because well, let me, let me just tell it. And then you can okay. decide. Okay. And it's one of, it's one of my favorite cases because it was the first time I saw what I believed in work. And so this man hired me. Um, he was a dad and he was up on attempted murder charges because he had caught his wife, you know, cheating on him and he had oh. gone after the guy that she was with.
0: Oh, so, okay.
1: So he's up, you know, he's very angry. During the period of time, you know, of course, she got a restraining order on him. He was kicked out of the house. During this period of time, there was a lot of damage done for the kids, you know, in their relationship with their dad and how they saw him. And when he came to me, he was so angry, you know, he was angry at the guy. He was angry at his wife. He was angry at the world. He was angry at everyone. And I remember looking at him and go, not saying names, I said, The only way I'm going to work with you is if you take some responsibility for what you did here and Mm -hmm. you work on changing that. And he had to, because of the criminal charges he had to go through, you know, we have batterers programs around here. So he had to go through that. And he promised me during that meeting, he said, I will do everything that I can. And he got involved with a personal therapist, um, it was funny because at one point he was calling me so frequently, just not even to talk about law, but just to talk about like how he was struggling and how to come out of that. And I was like, your therapist is way cheaper than me. And he was like, yeah, but I feel like I actually get more from you. And I was like, all right, as long as you know you're paying for it. <laughs> but there was such a progression in his how he saw things, how he perceived things, how he could react, where... At the very beginning in the case where he did not see his kids, you know, she would have just pushed his button a little wrong and he would have blown up. Mm. By the end of the case, we walked away with sole legal and physical custody of the children. She wow. was kicked out of the house. He got the house. He kept, all his re- he kept all his retirement. She had to pay me attorney fees. It was a wow. complete change, you know, by the time we actually went to trial And he walked away with everything. His kids, um, again, I don't want to get into details, but they're all doing really, really well. They don't really have a relationship with their mom, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. any longer. But, you know, I've I've followed that family. And Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I could sit here and be like, yeah, I got, you know, I got him the kids. I got him the house. But if he did not do the work, he never would have been in the situation to be able to have the doors open for him to take that. And that's where I feel that what you do for yourself and how you change yourself goes so closely hand in hand with your yeah. legal you know, issue mm-hmm. where I could be the best. I mean, I think I'm a pretty good lawyer, but I could be the best lawyer like in the world. If he was still that man that first came to me, there's no way in hell we would have walked away with that result. That was because of him and his willingness to change and do the work that needed to be done. And that's why I feel so strongly about a legal result as a piece of paper that that's not only gonna get you what you think you want, it's really the entire process that can get you what you want.
0: Wow, that's that that is really that is a really good story. Cause (laughs) the way it started off. (laughs) I was like, is this, is this the basis of a music video? Like, I think I've seen this music video before. <laughs> the way that started off. Wow. But that's, that's really good that he turned himself around. And, and uh, yeah. Wow. I wasn't expecting that.
1: No, like I said, it's not what you'd think of, you know, of your typical domestic violence survivor, you know, that, that rises above. But that, I think, is one of the most dramatic stories where I've seen such a shift and the result that we walked away with because of that shift, like, I don't know if I'll ever have another case that beats that, but, uh, you know, we'll see because I'm, I'm in the business of changing life here. <laughs>
0: wow, I like that. But I got a question. So uh, in that scenario, wasn't he the domestic abuser?
1: So there, it wasn't that there was any abuse in regards to his children or his wife. He was definitely wrong within that scenario. Mm-hmm. a lot of allegations were made after the fact that we were able to successfully refute but that's that's part of you know the issue where mom took a corner where she just couldn't really come back from it um mm-hmm. so in that particular situation unfortunately he let the situation get the best of him but i also understand if he keep Catch your spouse cheating on you. Look, you might be yeah. a little angry. Do I do I think you should go attack them? No, but I get it.
0: <laughs> well, he didn't attack her. He attacked him. He
1: attacked him.
0: <laughs> he attacked him. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to be so messy right now. I want to be so messy. All right. I just got one more question about that scenario. Okay. Did, did, did the two guys know each other? Is no. that the reason why he attacked them? No. No. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> that would spark a little bit more anger out of me, but let me, let me move on past this. Let me not keep getting messy. Um, what do you hope to achieve in in your work aside from helping people improve their lives after the fact? Um, and, and do you think there needs to be any changes in the legal system, of how we deal with family, domestic abuse, divorce all of that
1: I mean that is a very loaded question because yes I think <laughs> the was. entire system needs to be changed like the <laughs> the process sucks and there's definitely times where you know as a lawyer I'm part of the system and there's some times where it works beautifully and I feel like justice has been accomplished and there's other times I walk away and I go what what am I doing? I'm just part of the problem you know yeah. it's just this reoccurring, unjustice in this, you know, so-called justice system where mm-hmm. there there's so many things wrong, you know, and I think that becomes incredibly frustrating as as an attorney. Because we can't necessarily change that. Do I have plans to eventually, you know, get in there and have my voice heard of what needs to be changed? Hell yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but it's kind of, that's part of the big vision of where my firm is going.
0: <laughs> For all the people that are just listening to the audio and not watching the video, the way Heather <laughs> said that, do I have plans of getting it? It was a lot of spice. It was, there was a lot going on there, and I love every piece of it. I love absolutely all of that. And I look. Let me tell you something. If I was in Massachusetts and you decided to run for office, you had my vote because oh, I I believe in in the law in which you're practicing. I believe that that's the way it should be. Because you were right at the top of the interview. There's this misconception. There's a stereotype. And sometimes stereotypes fit, but there's a stereotype that all lawyers are shysters, like Mm -hmm. all politicians are shysters. And that's absolutely not the case. So it's fantastic to have a lawyer on here to disprove those poor stereotypes. Or well negative I appreciate theory. that
1: because we've we've gotten some one star Google reviews from people. We we do have a pretty strict process of who we allow to retain us.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you know, we've gotten some one stars from either people that we've had to get rid of because we've figured throughout the process that they're they're really the problem, or we haven't allowed them to hire us and they're very angry at that.
0: <laughs> so that's nah, so
1: kind of the price you pay for having standards.
0: <laughs> they're haters. So Heather, is there any final advice that you want to give people out there that are going through a tough marriage, possibly thinking about getting a divorce, uh, or just they don't know if they can get out of their marriage for financial or emotional reasons? Do you have any parting words of wisdom to, to guide them to the right decision for them?
1: hmm I think that I I still believe in marriage. You know, I did end up three years and almost four years ago now. I did get remarried after swearing it off for over 15 years. I I do believe in marriage. And I think that's something not to throw away easily. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that will call us and they'll say, you know, how do I know when it's time to file a divorce? And that, that's not a, lawyer, a question. Any lawyer should, if a co- lawyer says, yes, you should file for a divorce, they're probably not the best lawyer. That's a, that's a personal question. However, there's certain things that are very, very difficult to come back from. Can you, can you come back from a domestic you know, violence relationship? Yes. Can you come back from a cheating relationship? Yes. But only if the other person is completely willing to do the work for them and that is not something you can make them do. So if they're not willing to do the work to change how they are and how they treat you, then it's not going to work. And to figure that out, I am a huge advocate of therapy. I am a huge advocate of getting in and talking about, you know, because a lot of times, especially in domestic violence situations, you've been beat down. You know, mm-hmm. I remember speaking with my therapist and <laughs> it, I I was like, I just don't even know who I am. You know, I don't know anything about me. I just, I've, I've just done everything I could to make everyone else happy and peaceful. And she even said, well, let's start with some basics. What's your favorite kind of pizza? And I was like, I don't know. It's whatever everybody wants to eat. Like, I'll just order that. And even coming to the realization that I didn't even know what type of food I preferred, was almost this eye opener for me where I said, I have, I, and I'm a pretty, you know, self asserted person and I've been that way my whole life, but I lost that, you know, All I right. lost that completely. So even before you start the process, find somebody and not the therapist in, you know, that you see on TV where you lie on the couch and you just talk about your problems. The people who really do dive down deep and get you to talk about you know what it is that you believe in, why you believe it, what you can do to change it. How are you going to build yourself back up? It, mm-hmm. it can be very uncomfortable at times. And if you have a therapist you're never uncomfortable with, you are not with the right therapist. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes doing that ahead of time and building yourself up because divorce is not an easy process. And especially if you're coming against somebody who, you know, for all, for, for sake of the, the situation, you know, they've had the upper hand. They know what to say to make you do certain things. They know how to terrify you. They know exactly what to do, how to say it, when to say it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, this is like David and Goliath. You're going up against a giant when you're going through that divorce process. So building yourself up so that you're ready to go through it and you don't crumble is so important because I've, I've seen, unfortunately, I've seen that happen as well, you know, where, one person just gives in because they can't keep fighting. Um, so I think for anyone who's, who's in that situation, find a really, really awesome therapist. Somebody who you like, but knows how to make you uncomfortable because that's where growth comes from.
0: Woo. Wow. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? That was powerful. That was real. <laughs> that was powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Heather O'Connor. Not only a former professional skater, not only a mother, not only a kick-ass lawyer, but also, once again, a grandmother.
1: That's true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you for this interview. This was really insightful, I think. I definitely learned a lot. I know my listeners will learn a lot as well. And some people have some things to, I'm not saying anything directly to anybody. I'm just saying (laughs) some people have some things to think about, (laughs) but thank you. Thank you so much for this interview.
1: No, it was a pleasure. You know, thank you so much for having me on and let me share a little bit of my story.
0: Absolutely. It was my honor.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, out of 5,000. Read over over fame. The cycle stays the
1: same.